you might have clicked this podcast link because you have a friend who felt that you desperately needed to hear this message. Maybe you go to V1 Church, maybe you were there last Easter Sunday and you got rocked and said, I wanna hear it again. No matter what, God's got something new, fresh in store for you right now. So without further ado, crank it up. Here is the gospel according to Doubting Thomas, Easter Sunday. body down. You heard it from this hillbilly. Ain't no grave gonna hold his body down, which means there's no grave that can hold your body down. In this last year, I want you to think about the last year. I want you to think about the thoughts of suicide, the miscarriages and the abortions. Can I just be real today? There's some real stuff in this room and I can't afford to miss a moment. I want you to think about the depression. I want you to think about the fear that you felt and somehow in the midst of some things you never thought you could survive, you're standing on your two feet right now because there ain't no grave. Does somebody believe that Jesus is alive and doing something on the inside come on this is about the point in the service where the Methodist and Catholic friends you invited are like you what did you do to me you brought me to one of those churches but listen you're here already it's too late seal the doors seal the doors (laughs) security seal the doors (laughs) so (laughs) but here's what I want to do because there's a moment in here I just want to get vulnerable. I want to be transparent. I want to ask you to to get transparent with me, okay? So I want you to stay on your feet, take your phone out, and I want you to turn the light on to your phone. Come on. Come on, keep it going. Jesus said, if you follow me, the light of life will be in you. Some of you have gone through some dark seasons this year and it has felt like anything other than the light of life. It's felt like utter darkness. So I want you to put your lights down, but keep them on. And I'm gonna ask you a few questions and I'm asking for some vulnerability. If, you've, if you're in this room and in the last year you lost a loved one, Would you shine your light? It's easy to feel like nobody understands the grief and maybe they don't, but look around. You can put them down. If in the last year you found yourself just completely overcome with a feeling of anxiety, would you be willing to just shine your light? Look around, look around. Man, you can put your lights down. If you're here and there's been some moments you've had in New York where you've looked at the bills and you said, why do I still live here again? Shine your light. (laughs) Okay, put them down, put them down. (laughs) If you're here and in the last year you found yourself in a crowded room and still felt utterly alone, would you raise your hand? Wow. You could put them down. I got one more question for you. In the midst of the doubts, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the anxiety, 
and the grief and everything you've been through, physical illness, if there's still been this voice inside of you, maybe it's just been a still small voice that told you keep going. There's still hope. There still can be a better day. Can you lift your light up? Come on. Come on. That's something to celebrate. Come on. Let's keep our lights up right now as a bold declaration that we're not surrendering to darkness in New York. We're not surrendering to darkness around the world. We're not surrendering to suicide and depression. We're not surrendering to anxiety and fear and apprehension and worry. We're not surrendering to any demonic force that would try to convince us that we can't make it all the way to our destiny. Is there somebody who will stand in agreement with me right now? And come on, say amen if you believe it. Come on, shout amen if you believe it. Come on. And here's what I want you to do. We're getting ready to preach. I want you to find somebody next to you. Give them a hug. Tell them you love them. If you're single, I want you to hold them for five seconds too long and smell them real good. Some destinies are going to be changed one hug at a time, one awkward embrace at a time. Tell them welcome home. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus. For Jesus Christ, we love you, God. I love you, Mike. You didn't think that was going to happen, did you? <laughs> we're going to have too much fun, man. You guys, we're, we got about three more hours of service to go. We're going full Pentecostal. You guys are bad. Don't do that to me. Come on now. Don't do that to me. <laughs> um, but man, first service was amazing. So let me just do this. Can we welcome not only everyone who's visiting first, second, third time guests, but everyone who's watching online live right now? We got some family all over the world. What's up, Mariah in Kentucky? Chose not to go to the snake handling church this Sunday. So she uh, watching our live stream. Praise God. If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. I am going to preach to you today, just in the next several minutes. So I understand if you're Catholic, you may be convulsing right now. This is already like sacrilegious feeling to you. Um, but I'm telling you, if you truly believe that Jesus is alive, I think this is a lot what it looks like and feels like. And, and if I know it was probably a little loud, I told Eric, don't go too crazy on, on sound today, but I, I can't help but to think that this is probably going to be what heaven's like, just super crowded and loud. <laughs> and there's going to be a special place for me and all the other introverts on a hill in a, in a one room house with no windows. And when we're done with all this, we're going to go escape. The Lord's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You tolerated all those crazies. <laughs> but I want to read to you out of Matthew, the 28th chapter. We're going to take a look at the Gospels today. And uh, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four apostles who wrote an account, a first-person narration of Easter, of the resurrection story. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 8, 28. And when you found it, say Amen. See, everyone who said amen, those are the real Christians. Everyone who didn't, they're still trying to download the V1 Church app on their phone. <laughs> their hand's shaking. You should put that V1 Church app right on top of your Facebook and Instagram app. See, nobody, nobody shouted me down for that one. <laughs> so anyways, Matthew chapter 28 says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So this is a story of the very first Easter this is Easter over 2,000 years ago. Now the, now the 11 disciples, why 11? Because Judas had given up on the plan of God for his life. 
he got twisted about how Jesus was using some money. And it caused him to go sideways. And the devil kicked the hinges of the door of his heart off and got in. And you know the story. So at this point, it's Resurrection Sunday. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now watch, this is why I'm a Christian. Because of this next part of the sentence. But some doubted. Isn't, oh man, it got real quiet. Do you know that it is possible to be in the presence of the resurrected Jesus and watch some people worship while other people doubt? And I cherish scripture for its transparency and authenticity in this way because it was real about it. I'll tell you what, if I was trying to get, if I was in a ragtag group of Jews in Israel at this time or Roman occupied Israel, and I was trying to get a, a religion off the ground, I wouldn't add that part in there. That wouldn't be good. You know what I'm trying to say? Oh, come on. Y'all are liars. I know you're liars. I listen. You tell me stories. Aren't the stories you tell always better than it really happened? Right? We know you were no star quarterback in high school. There, you, just, you were in child of the 90s, so there's no footage of it. But we know, we know you were no good because you work at Starbucks now. Bears wouldn't even take you. But, so if you were going to tell a story, you wouldn't say, but some doubted. You wouldn't admit that. The same people who watched Jesus perform medically verified miracles some worshiped on the first Easter and some doubted. Doesn't that sound just like the one we're having today? There are some here who are standing next to somebody trying to figure out why are they going crazy? I don't get it. The same thing happened in the first Easter. You feel a little bit more at home right now. And when they saw him, they worshiped him and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age and even in the space of Westbury on Long Island. That's what he said. Is there anyone here beside me who has like this insatiable curiosity? Like you just have this desire to learn. You just want to know everything. Is there anyone like if I was able to take your Google search history and put it on this screen right now, you would lose your job. You would be mortified because you, the stuff you look up is so weird. People are like, it doesn't even really make sense. Or your YouTube search history. If I was able to put it like we just had your search history, just scrolling on the screen right now, you would be mortified because you're that curious. Okay, so that's me. I have this like insatiable curiosity. And one day I'm in my apartment in Queens and I just have this thought. I, I saw like a picture of an alpaca and I thought to myself, instead of a dog, how amazing would it be to have a pet alpaca? This is like a real thought. If you ever like, wonder what deep thoughts he's thinking on a Thursday, I'm Googling can I have a pet alpaca in a 600 square foot apartment? I'm serious. I really wanted to know. And you know, those guys in Queens that deliver your, your Uber eats on like a moped. I thought to myself, what if I just rode an alpaca? Like, I just like, like, just let's make New York that weird. You know, where people are like, what are they doing out there? All my pastor friends, what are you doing? I'm riding an alpaca to work, dude. So anyways, this is where I go mentally. Okay. Any ADHD. Okay. Um, keep your hand down there, employers in here. So 
I start researching this at, at length. <laughs> I don't know why, it just really was intriguing to me. And I discovered that alpacas, they're hardwired for community so much that if I were able to go buy an alpaca, what happens is you are forced to buy them in pairs. And you have to buy them in pairs because they're so communal and tribal and they, they so desperately long to be around other alpacas that if you buy one in isolation, it will actually cause the immune system of the alpaca to go down and they will be, they literally will die of broken heart. Look <laughs> like everyone. See now, don't you want one? Now you want one. Um, but I was thinking about like, even though I'm extremely introverted and even though me even being up here right now is like violating everything inside of me, I desperately need my alpacas. Like I desperately need to be around people, even though I don't like being around them all the time. And when I look at V1 church, I just see all these flavors of alpacas, every flavors. We got chocolate, alpacas, vanilla, you know, we got everything represented here. And there's just been something about this alpaca nation that we're forming that is so weird, but makes so much sense once you experience it. Does anyone ever know what I'm talking about when you come in on a Sunday and you just feel like you're home, even though you've been home? You know what I'm talking about? And, and so I've been in search of this crew, this crowd, this, because, you know, you, you can't, let me just put it like this. I was raised in a Pentecostal church. And I don't know if any of you were raised in Pentecostalism, but those services are legitimately like three and a half hours long. People are, there's 14 tambourines. If you bring a tambourine next Sunday, security's going to handle you. I'm just saying, um, blowing shofars. They'd never been to Israel, have no idea what, I mean, I mean, it was like where I was raised in the craziest church environment ever. And it just, there was always a part of me, you know, there was the emotionalism and we had these euphoric experiences, but there was always this rational, intellectual side of me that wasn't satiated by the experiences of my childhood. And so I didn't really feel like I had my alpaca sort of community. And I went on this journey and I had read the Bible several, several times through before I was 18. And matter of fact, I had actually witnessed three medically verifiable miracles as the result of prayer before I was 18. So you would think that seeing miracles would make me a candidate to be a lifelong Christian. Doesn't that make sense? But when you go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's telling of the first resurrection, there are people who watched Jesus perform miracles and yet still struggled in that moment of seeing him. And I, I went through that too. I actually ended up being the first generation college student on both sides of my family. And when I got to Indiana University, I started to struggle with my faith and I actually uh, just started identifying as an atheist. So if you're here and maybe you feel like you struggle, I struggle too. The difference though, is that when I was getting a degree, YouTube didn't exist yet. I'm kind of dating myself, but there were no like documentaries that people like keyboard warriors were making in their basement to try to convince you that Jesus didn't exist. Like the stuff that we have right now, that's not peer reviewed. It's not intellectual. And it's literally just emotionalism wrapped in pseudo intellectualism. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I had to actually earn my degree by reading books instead of just watching stuff on YouTube to get it. So people are like, praise God. I have a reason to shout hallelujah. Um, but I went on this journey to discover truth. I went on this journey to know what I really knew. And I'll be honest with you, 
I was willing to abandon everything. I completely walked away from Christianity. When people ask me, what are you? I said, I'm, I'm an atheist. And then I sort of wrestled with being agnostic and I was going through this evolution, but that journey was so intense that I started getting groups of people together on my campus to the point where Indiana University reached out to me and they said, hey, we know that you're gathering these groups. How would you like for us to train you to teach it as like an elective course your junior year next year and we'll pay you to do it? And I was like, straight up, let's do it. And so this, this journey that I went on was an authentic, legitimate journey. And, and so I started this class and the curriculum that I put together, and this is my junior year, so they're meeting Professor Signorelli and I'm like, what's up? And they're like, weren't you at a party last week? I was like, I am. I'm still in the party. <laughs> Where'd I you? <laughs> Go I you. And I, <laughs> and so I started to take them to each place. And the first thing that I did was examine my own atheism. And in the early 2000s, you had these discoveries in astrophysics. And there were men like Dr. Hugh Ross that were beginning to believe in the fine tuning of the universe and the cosmological constant. And they started to explain how the mathematical probability of life being viable in this universe it requires all these conditions. And if you change e even just one of those condition conditions by one infinitesimal amount, the whole thing collapses. And it seemed to have suggested that this whole thing is by some intelligent design. And so in the early 2000s, there was this movement in the scientific communities where many of them were looking at the Hebrew account of creation in the book of Genesis and deciding to not just become theists, but also to become Christians. And I was a part of that movement. I started looking at this and I wasn't quite ready to become a Christian yet, but I said, man, mathematically, it makes more sense to believe in an intelligent designer than it does that this all came by random chance. And so I migrated from atheism to theism. But the jury was still out about who this God was and what he wanted to do with me and why he would ever create the conditions for my life. Maybe you showed up today feeling like a mistake. I can guarantee you you're not. But I started to take this tour through world religions and the first stop was Hinduism and I read the Hindu Vedas in their entirety. The problem with the Hindu Vedas when I read them, and this is my own personal story, is that they gave the distance between the earth and the sun and the earth and the moon. And we knew in modern science at that time that it was inaccurate. And I, I just couldn't base my entire life and build a sure foundation on something that, that was that glaringly inaccurate. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to be a Hindu. And the Hindu Vedas, okay, I'm going to pass on that. I don't know about you, but is there anyone here who feels like what's worse than being stupid is knowing the truth and not living in it? I don't know about you, but is there anyone here that's just like, I want to, I'll be, call me anything, but don't call me fake. Come on now, I'm preaching to New Yorkers. Y'all cuss me out on the road every day. I know you can give me a shout in church. Is there anyone here who says, I want to know what I want to know, and the last thing I want to be called is fake because the unexamined life is not worth living. And so I read the Vedas and I passed. Uh, atheism, I had kind of advanced past that. And then all of a sudden, I got to the Islamic Cultural Center with my class and I began to read the Quran. And when I read the Quran, I got to a passage that talked about the gestation period of a baby being six months old, which obviously a man wrote that because no woman would suggest that. 
We all know it's nine months and some extra and feels like three years. And I got stuck on that scientific inaccuracy. But even if I was able to move past that, and this is just my own personal story, I'm telling you, I could not get past the idea that Muhammad had this private experience in a cave with the angel Gabriel and nobody was there to see it. Nobody was there to question it. Nobody was there to weigh it and measure it and examine it. And, and I couldn't, I could not surrender my personal life to a faith that demanded that I believe somebody's private experience. Because how many occults are started by someone who says, I had a private experience with God that you weren't there to see. Just take my word on it. And I looked at that and I said, I just cannot believe this. And, you know, my wife told me not to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyways, and I hope it doesn't inspire you. But I even read the Satanic Bible in its entirety. And the ironic thing about the Satanic Bible is that the God of the Satanic Bible is not Satan itself. Read. Well, don't read it. I, I'm sorry. This is what you were afraid of. I wanted to know truth. I wanted to know what I knew. And when I got to it, I had lived for myself long enough to say that, man, if I'm my own God, I'm not a good God. And life isn't going to be good because I've already tried doing it on my own. I already tried doing it my own way. But what happened in my story is that I came full circle and I found myself taking this book to the test. I found myself putting this book under scrutiny. And what I see in the Easter story is Jesus didn't just show up once. Jesus stayed for 40 days and did a victory lap all over Galilee and said, hey, uh, you killed me. Do you remember crucifying me? There ain't no grave that can hold me down. This isn't a private experience. This is a public declaration. I'm here to make dead people alive. I went through the grave so that you can go through too. And there was something so radical about the fact that Jesus would have just said, how you like me now? How you like me now? Oh, you remember me? You talked about me? You thought I was gone? How you like me now? This isn't private. It's public. You watch me. And there's something that just, man, and when I got to this Easter part where it said there were some worship and, the, and there were some who doubted. And guess what? It doesn't say those who were doubted were murdered. There are some religions that will kill you for doubting. I'm preaching truth. I'm going for the jugular today. I only got one shot with some of you creasters, and I'm going to take my shot today. It doesn't say they were murdered for doubting. It doesn't even say that they were. Now, the disciples were rebuked because how many of you know, sometimes the closer you get to God, the more authority he has to correct some stuff in your life. First connection, then correction. That's how we do it here at V1. But guess what? Here's what happens. Let me just look at the text. It says that some doubted and some worship, and then Jesus gives all of them an assignment. Isn't it just like Jesus to give your life an assignment even while you're still figuring it out? Isn't it just like Jesus to give you a destiny even in the midst of your doubt? Isn't it just like Jesus to show up and call your name before you even can call his name? Isn't it just like Jesus to lift his hand towards you before you'll ever lift your hand towards him? This is my Jesus. And you know, I started moving one step at a time, there's this phrase that says, 
For those who believe, no evidence is necessary. For those who doubt, no evidence will suffice. See, the entire time I thought that I didn't believe, I really did believe. I just needed to take a step of faith. Faith is this invisible staircase that causes you to elevate into the higher realms of life. And as I begin to sit down with scientists and interview people from the intellectual realm, they had to admit to me that even their science in certain realms requires faith, requires them stepping out and believing the thing that they, sh that they can't see with their own eyes, let alone any instruments that they have available. And the Bible puts it like this, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the whole time, what was hinging on my experience was me taking a step onto this invisible staircase to say, maybe he is who he said he was. And all of a sudden, I, I'll, I'll never forget, I did this. My junior year of college is when that movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out. And I went to go see that movie, and I was just brutalized by it, man. I was just like, it's true, it's true. And I remember I took that first step, and as soon as my foot crossed over the power of God, just started surging through my body. I, I remember having a physical experience. Last week, somebody accepted Christ for the very first time. I met them in the lobby, and they were cool. And then they said, hey, I'm going to go get prayer. I'll be back. And they came back, and they were like, whoa, that's so beautiful. Wow. That's so crazy. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm like, what did you take in this last 30 seconds before? He goes, I just receive Jesus Christ. Everything looks different. I'm having this experience right now. He crossed over from death to life. And, and I believe that that's going to happen here today in the next couple moments. Let me explain to you what happened to me when I finally surrendered to Christ. The best way I know how to explain it is I'm going to take you back to the 80s. I don't know if there are any other children of the 80s here, but I'm going to take you back to WrestleMania. <laughs> Let's take you back to WrestleMania. It was, it was the 80s. And I'll never forget this pay-per-view. My family was so poor, we couldn't even afford food. But somehow or another, we purchased pay-per-view to watch this WrestleMania. And for those of you who are saying wrestling's fake, you're not my people. And I know that you're not as hillbilly as me. Come on, this was my greatest aspiration. Come on. I mean, I wore that outfit. This moment where Andre the Giant gets slammed, that's a leg drop. You have no idea how many times I did that move on my sister growing up. But this moment, this, this moment in WrestleMania, <laughs> welcome home. Welcome to your alpaca nation. This moment in WrestleMania, marked me. <laughs> I know it sounds so stupid to say it. I remember as a kid, see, here's what happened. Andre the Giant could not be beat. Like nobody could touch him. He was like, he was unstoppable. And then, so now you have Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan would say, take your vitamins and say your prayers. And all the Pentecostal kids in Indiana would go, yay. <laughs> it's cool to do this stuff our mom makes us do. And so Hulk Hogan was my hero, man. And my only aspiration was just that blonde thing and the tights I remember making my mom buy me yellow underwear just running around ah! 
And you know, when I, I, I remember sitting there watching pay-per-view and when, when, Andre, when he took Andre the Giant that moment and he body slammed him, my jaw dropped like, no way. And then when he came and did that patented leg drop, I was like, it's over. You don't survive that. It, it's, he could be dead. And then all of a sudden, he, <laughs> Hulk Hogan gets on him and it's one, two. And you know, in wrestling, they do this little thing like that. Except for what happened was Andre the Giant didn't move. And on three, he came up. And my greatest hopes and dreams as a child were realized in that moment. My champion won it all. And, and he was my hero. But see, what happened was when I got a revelation of what the gospel story is really about, when I got a revelation of what Jesus and the resurrection is all about, I learned something. Here's what I learned. When I watched this documentary that recently came out about Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan said that, yeah, it was scripted. It was fake. But what happened was they came off the ropes and Andre the Giant, he screamed real loud, slam me. And that was not in the script. And he ran up to Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan just in the moment just grabbed him and slammed him. And then Hulk Hogan comes off the ropes and he hears Andre the Giant say it again, leg drop. And he's thinking, this is, we're coming off the script. We're not supposed to do this. And all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan drops the leg. And then Hulk Hogan said, when I got on top of him for the pin, I thought 100% and two, he's coming up and we'll get back on the script. And what happened was one, two, three, and Hulk Hogan realized the victory was just given to me. The legacy was, and all these years, I never knew that part of the story. But it makes total sense when you understand the gospel. Because if you truly know this story, there are no other heroes in scripture except for Jesus. He is the only hero in scripture. Because what happens is this. You know that David could have never killed a giant with just a small stone and a sling. The impossible became possible because the victory was given to him. And you don't walk up to the Red Sea and put a staff down and split the Red Sea. It's impossible. But when Jesus, when God anointed him, suddenly the impossible becomes possible for him. And I saw it a different way. There's only one hero in this book. It's not Moses. It's not David. It's not Mike Signorelli. It's not anyone on stage. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He gave us the victory. He won it all for us. There's no way I could be a good husband. There's no way I could be a good pastor. There's no way I could be preaching in front of you right now. And if your biggest struggle has been, well, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to be a hypocrite. This isn't about being wrong or right. This is about being dead. And then bring, he brings you back to life. There's no perfect people allowed here. And I needed that space for Jesus to say, Mike, I'm going to give you the victory. So many of you have been struggling. You've received a false gospel that's told you that, man, if, if I could just earn it, if I could just finally get up on the horse and stay there, no. You're about to have some of the greatest victories in your life in this next year, and you're going to look back and say, it was given to me. I have no other explanation. Would you stand to your feet?
You know, recently I was in Israel, just a poor welfare kid from Northwest Indiana preaching across Israel a couple months ago. Also doesn't make sense. Also a victory that was given. But don't clap for that. Let me tell you what happened to me. They'd say, hey, Mike, you're preaching in front of the valley of the shadow of death in 15 minutes. I'm like, that's a real place? Okay, let me cook something up. And I did this tour through Israel, but then I had this moment. And I was cool the whole time. It was an emotional experience to go through the pages of this book in in color. But, But I went to the tomb right outside of Golgotha, the place of the skull. And it's the tomb that many biblical scholars believe that Christ would have walked out of. And they allowed us to go into this tomb just a couple at a time. And I remember standing in this tomb looking and I had this smile on my face because I realized he did it. He did it all for me. He did it all for me. He knew I would be standing in this tomb when I was on welfare, multiple abusive fathers, stepdads, the nights I went home hungry, the times that we had Christmas with no presents. He knew he was, he knew I would be standing in this grave one day and my life wouldn't be failure forever. He knew that he was going to give me a victory that I would forever be humbled by and know that there's no other way it could have happened. But, but through the cross, And I stood in that grave and it was, hey, it was a great experience, but I came out. When I came out, they said, hey, we all want to do communion right in front of this grave site. And they handed out these wooden cups. And on my wooden cup, it was engraved, Pastor Mike. And I lost it. I lost it. And the reason why I couldn't even, I just, because it was like my hardest day as a Christian is embarrassingly easy when you think about the cross. My hardest day in ministry, my biggest list of complaints I could ever have, it was like embarrassing that I ever, ever said one complaint and I read Pastor Mike and I'm like, oh, in my atheism, in my drunken stupor, in the separation from my wife and abandonment of my kids and all of my failures, but even in the times when I preached to thousands and done all that God called me to do, it just pales in comparison to the horrific death and the bloodshed and then him going Saturday into the bowels of hell and snatching the keys of death hell in the grave and coming back up and just wow and I I just had this awestruck wonder came over me and I said he gives you a name that you'll never deserve the champion that fights for us gives us a title that we know we'll never truly own a crown that'll never really fit That's why in scripture it says when we get to heaven, you're going to see the multitudes laying their crown at his feet. Because we all know the same thing. This crown doesn't fit me. It's only fit for a king. This crown is only fit for Jesus. Anything good you ever saw come out of me was him. Anything worthy I ever did, I did it for him. Anything that I consider a loss, it was no gain. Unless it was for Christ and Christ alone. I'm not here to preach you a good Easter sermon. Because the best sermon you ever heard wasn't the most eloquent one. The best sermon you ever heard is the one you responded to. Some worshipped, some doubted. 
but everyone got a destiny. They had to choose to walk in it. My middle name is Thomas, Michael Thomas. And I thought today, what would it look like if I preached the gospel according to Doubting Thomas? The ones who struggled with whether or not this can be real. Do you see these crosses right here? These crosses, they represent two things. The first thing these crosses represent is that victory that was won for you already. The price that was paid to give you the victory. You might look like Hulk Hogan, everyone in your family, but you'll know and I'll know the victory was given to you. The second thing it represents is your own cross. Because to be a true Christian is to accept our suffering and to say, I want to go in the way of my master. I know it's not going to be easy. I know I'm going to be tested and tried, but I'm willing to take up my cross. And I think that we've done a good, great job of telling you about the prosperity and the blessings of the Lord. But there's something special that happens when you partake in his suffering too. And you say, God, I'm your ride or die. That's scripture. God, I'm your ride or die. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm going to take my cross too. I love you, Jesus. I'm responding to your love. I'm responding to what you did, God. If you went all the way for me, I'm going all the way for you, Jesus. I'll suffer. I'll suffer. I'll suffer. I'll pick up my cross through every single season. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to take your step of faith out of your seats. I want you to come forth now.